touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So college basketball returned last night, right? Badgers playing their first game of the season. Uh, it took me all of about an hour to have enough college basketball for a while uh, to be annoyed by college basketball. Only took uh, about an hour. The Badgers played St. Mary's last night. I've been accused of a lot of things. Um, a, a big one throughout the last year or so of doing this show is being a Badger hater. I am not a Badger hater. I'm not the biggest fan of college basketball as a whole. I am a Badger fan. I like watching the Badgers. They are my team. When they win, I get excited. When they lose, I get frustrated. I'm not a hater of the Badgers. College basketball is my favorite, so you kind of need to sell it to me a little bit. I'm a little bit of a diva. This is not an anti-Badgers thing. This is more so me and and my anti-college basketball thing. Last night at halftime, the Badgers had 24 points. 24? And and once again, not just a Badger thing, St. Mary's which is the 20th best team in the country, or so the rankings say, 30 points? Look, I I don't want college basketball to become the NBA and and final scores of 115-120, you know, in the 120s, 130s. I'm not not asking for that, but man, 24 points in one half of basketball? 24 points? That's just, man, that's some college basketball stuff I don't need in my life. Last night I was excited for it, and it took me all of about 30, 45 minutes uh, to become annoyed with it once again. Welcome back, <laughs> college basketball. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills, and I am not a Badger hater. I don't want I don't want this conversation today. I don't want our discussion to be turned into Badger hate because it's not. I'm not here to hate, right? I, but I do want to talk about the Badgers today, and and I'm not going to make last night's loss. By the way, the Badgers lost uh, to St. Mary's in overtime, sixty six to sixty three, and we can talk about the game and what went wrong and what they got to do better, but. It's one game. They're going to play a lot of games this year, and and I don't think the non-conference slate means a whole lot. I saw a couple of takes on Twitter last night that were just garbage, just garbage takes, uh, risking sounding a little bit like Jim Rome. I saw one tweet that said, "Man, this is this is the kind of loss that really hurts in March." What? What? No! This is the lot. This is the game no one's going to remember in March. This game's not going to matter in March. Absolutely not. The conference slate doesn't start until December seventh with Indiana. Once that game comes around, we can start talking about this is the kind of game that hurts in March. Last night's game didn't make a damn bit of difference. It was played in South Dakota. It wasn't even on TV. I don't know how I streamed it. I figured it out on my phone. At least 90% chance it wasn't legal. But hey, got to talk about it today. I did what it I did what it took to watch the game. That ultimately isn't going to matter in March. That is a trash take. So if you had the impression that last night's game is going to matter come seeding time, come tournament time, just, just put that out of your mind because it's not. I don't want to focus on last night's game specifically. I don't want to get into the X's and O's and the coaching decisions, although I think if Greg Gard could go back and maybe handle overtime, especially again, maybe they would do a couple things different. But once again, that's not my concern. That's not my focus. It's more big picture stuff, right? Greg Gard has been a coach, uh, the head coach of the Badgers now for a couple of years. We We have a decent enough sample size. We've had some great years. We've had some leaner years and some years in between. Last night's game isn't a huge deal, but it, it, it kind of is continuing to build Greg Gard's body of work and, and Greg Gard's teams by extension. 
right? It's not just Greg Gard's coaching decisions. It's it's everything that goes into a, a college basketball season every single year. The number one theme I saw last night and I have seen for years, and, and, and I felt like last night I was watching on my phone, I felt like it was just an extension of what we had seen for the last couple of years, right? The Badgers can't finish games. They can't close games. Once again, disclaimer, not being a Badger hater, St. Mary's is a very good team. They're playing at a neutral site, although a lot of the fans there were Badger fans. Very, almost similar to where the Packers played in Los Angeles last week, right? Kind of an odd venue in a soccer stadium. And the majority of fans there were, were Packer fans, much like last night. But it wasn't a, a traditional home game. It was a tough game to win. Badgers weren't favored. They were four and a half point dogs, but they had it right there. Right, They have the experienced coach. They have some experienced players. And, and, and they are a tried and true program that's been there, done that. They need to be more comfortable in crunch time minutes, closing games. The last couple of years, it seems like the Badgers have had so many wins in the palm of their hand with a minute and a half to go, and they just haven't executed. Whether that's breaking free throws, bad turnovers, not getting a good shot, a defensive lapse, right? Maybe a coaching decision that maybe wasn't wrong, but maybe not the best decision. We saw Greg Gard. Uh, elect to allow St. Mary's to play it out instead of fouling uh, down one. Badgers ended up getting the ball back with about four seconds to play. Man, that's not a whole lot of time to do anything, even if you are only down one point. I think they could go back and do that again. It's a combination of everything. Badgers aren't comfortable closing games. And their brand is playing close games, right? Playing ugly, getting uh, more talented teams to play down to their level of talent and their level of competition, right? The Badgers play really, really good defense. They don't foul. They don't turn the ball over. And they hit their free throws. That's the model. Now, whether or not they've nailed that and they've executed that perfectly the last couple of years, that's up for debate. But that's the model they're aiming for. No turnovers. Don't foul. Hit your free throws. And play great defense. And if you do that, 9 out of 10 times, you're going to be right there. You're going to be in a close game and you're going to have a chance to win in the final minute, minute and a half, two minutes. The problem is the Badgers in their current iteration the last couple of years, and once again, I'm not blowing up last night's game as something bigger than it is. This is We have years of precedent to go off now on this. These teams aren't comfortable in the final minutes being in a one or two or three point game, and they need to be because that's their brand. That's their model. Their goal is, well, we, want, we just want to be within one or two or three points in the final two minutes, and then we'll take over. And they've executed that, but they can't close. They can't finish. I, I thought of I thought of Holman football because we covered a lot of Holman football, and, and and the Holman Vikings I think make it very obvious they have a system, they have a, a an offense that their coach embraces and believes in, and it doesn't really matter who's playing quarterback or running back because I've seen Holman teams now for the last three years they make it work every year. All the players buy in, all the coaches buy in, and they win a lot of games regardless of who is wearing the jerseys, right? Now, Holman loves to pound the rock, run the football, right, and, and control the clock. It would be like if Holman, who who very routinely, four-yard run on first down, four-yard run on second down, all right, third and two. That's what they're working for, right? Their goal is to get in third and manageable every single time. To compare the Badgers to Holman, it would be like if Holman executed on first down and executed on second down and found themselves in a third and one or third and two. Perfect. Great. It's what the goal is, right? And then they fall on their face because they can't, they're not comfortable in third and short. You need to be comfortable in third and short because that's your offense. That's your model. The Badgers model 
is to keep games close, low scoring, don't foul, don't turn the ball over, don't hit free throws, and play good defense. So right there at the end, you have a chance to win. The problem is when the Badgers have gotten there, and they've gotten close, and they're in a one- or two-point game against a, a great team, they can't finish. They can't finish. Once again, not blowing up last night's game, but looking at the last couple seasons as a whole. Something finds a way to go wrong. Whether they don't hit free throws, have a bad turnover, they can't get a good shot off, they have a defensive lapse, or maybe Greg Gard makes a decision that, ah, I'd like to have that one back. Something. Something always comes up. And if you're going to keep it low scoring, like I said, first half, the Badgers scored 24 points, St. Mary scored 30, and that flipped directly in the second half. That's why overtime was forced. You're going to play in low scoring games that are defensive based, that are all circled around fouling and shooting free throws. Then you need to be comfortable and need to be buttoned up and you need to execute when the game is within a point or two in the last 30 seconds. And the Badgers don't do it. The result, you're going to lose a lot of close basketball games. A lot of close basketball games. You're going to be in it. You're going to be right there. But you're going to lose more often than you're going to win. And that's been the result. That's been what we have seen the last couple of years. Not just last night. But last night felt eerily similar, didn't it? Look, St. Mary's is a good team. It was in a weird venue. Both teams had to travel. And St. Mary's has a baller. Their best player reminded me a little bit of Marcus Howard. Scoring 26 points. Ford last night just went off. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. Right in college, you see individual players take over. It happens. Jordan Ford was incredible. 26 points. But the Badgers had everything. It played out exactly like they wanted. And they just can't finish. They just can't execute. Bottom line, if the Badgers want to play in close ball games, low-scoring ball games, they need to be comfortable in close ball games and low-scoring ball games. And they're just not. They're just not. It is just one game. And I don't think this game is going to matter in March. And I saw some people talking about that last night. You can't look that far ahead. That's, that's just a bad take. That is a bad take. And I saw it in a couple spots last night. Non-conference games, they're not irrelevant, but let's be real. People really don't start paying attention until the conference season, and most people don't really start paying attention to college basketball as a whole until it gets close to tournament time. Last night's game isn't the end of the world, but it, it, it seemed like an, like an eerie continuation of a trend that we've seen the last couple of years. I want to continue to talk about the Badgers, and we're going to hit a lot of things today. We're going to talk Packers, we're going to talk Bucks because they have a huge game tonight out on the West Coast visiting Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers. We'll talk about that uh, right before we say goodbye at 6 o'clock. That game's going to be at 9 o'clock, so 8.30 pregame right here on WKTY with Ted Davis, Justin Garcia, and the rest of the Bucks radio network. We'll talk about all that. But coming up next, I, I want to talk about the Badgers, and I want to talk about Greg Gard, and I want to make it very, very, very abundantly clear. I'm not hating the Badgers. I'm not being a hater. I'm just being honest, right? And I'm not blowing up last night's game to be something that it's not. I'm just being honest. Because last night's game looked pretty similar to what we've seen the last couple of years. And and there's just a couple problems. A couple of problems right now in the Badgers program that that are kind of sprouting up bigger and bigger every year. Let's talk about that coming up next. I'd love to hear from you as well. 608-796-2558. Give me a call or a text on the five-star telecom talking text line. Let's keep talking Bucky when we return. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Hope you're having a good day. I'm not going to lie. The snow is kind of fun today. 
first snowfall is kind of fun. I'll be sick of it in a couple of weeks, in a couple of months. But I'm enjoying my day. Hope you are as well. Thanks for being here. You can join the show, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. You can always shoot me a tweet anytime at Grant. Find all of us at WKTY. We're talking about the Badgers. Now, they lost last night 65-63 to a good St. Mary's team in a weird but pretty cool-looking gym out in South Dakota. And I'm not I'm not overreacting to this game. I want to make that very clear. I'm not overreacting and making last night's game something that it's not because it's really not that big of a deal. What about a nice win to have, top 20 opponent, but ultimately I don't think this is going to make or break the Badgers' postseason resume and their tournament resume. Right, There's going to be a lot to be decided in conference play and in the conference tournament. They have bigger, better things in front of them. I'm not overreacting to last night's game. However, I think last night's game showed uh, a negative continuation of a bad trend we've seen the last couple of years under Greg Gard. Right, And the Badgers system the last 20 years in my lifetime, it really hasn't changed. Right, Bo Ryan installed this system that allowed Wisconsin to win and compete with Michigan State. Right, and Ohio State, and teams in other conferences as well, like Kentucky and like Duke, right? Compete with those teams and occasionally win against those teams, even without the talent that those other teams can recruit. Wisconsin can't recruit the same talent that Michigan State can, and Michigan, right? And you want to get outside the conference, obviously there's dozens of examples. But Bo Ryan put together a system and built it over time so that Wisconsin could be competitive. Got to be disciplined, right? You got to look hard and and long to find the right players to fit that system, but it can be done, and it was done for years under Bo Ryan, and Greg Gard's had success doing it as well. However, however, the Badgers are built on defense. They're built on hitting their free throws, not fouling, not turning the ball over. If you don't do those things well, you're screwed because you have nothing. You have nothing if you can't do those things. Right, We talked about Geronimo Allison a couple of weeks ago. Geronimo Allison is a very good example in this sense. Right, Geronimo Allison is not big enough, fast enough, strong enough to afford to drop passes. Once he starts dropping passes, his utility is very, very, very low because he's not dynamic in the open field. He's not that big and he's not that strong, but he's got chemistry with Aaron Rodgers and supposedly up until this year he had great hands. Now that he's dropping passes, his value is out the window because he's not good enough to be able to drop passes. The Badgers aren't talented enough. They're not athletic enough to afford to miss free throws, right? To, to, to absorb poor coaching decisions in the final two minutes or to foul unnecessarily. And I keep bringing up free throw percentage because last night, and I tweeted about it, at Keystroker Grant, the Badgers, once again, not great from the line, 14 to 20. Yeah, that's 70%. Yeah, it could be worse, and we have seen worse the last couple of years, right? But 14 to 20... When there are only 65 points being scored, you can't afford to leave those points out there. The Badgers hit three more of those and make 17 out of 20, which is not an unreasonable number. They win. Plain and simple. Full stop. Free throws win games, especially for the Badgers. Because they want to slow a game down, ugly it up, lower the scoring, play defense. And if one of those things goes out the window, defense, turnovers, fouling, free throws, one of those things goes out the window... The Badger team just ain't that good because they're not talented enough. They're not athletic enough to make up for deficiencies in discipline, right? Deficiencies in the very foundation that that Badger basketball has been built on the last 20 years. And under Bo Ryan, look, they'd they'd have a down year. And I, I say down in air quotes because they didn't miss a tournament, right? 
So really, how down is a bad year if you're still making the tournament? You're still making the big dance. But after a, quote, down year, they would always grow and improve. Right? Well, they they weren't as good as you'd hoped this year, but they got some young players, and you know Bull Ryan's going to develop them. That coaching staff is going to develop them. And in the next couple of years, you're going to see that payoff. You're going to see the patience. You're going to see those minutes that went to the young players pay off. We saw that all the time. Bo Ryan and his staff would recruit players who weren't four- or five-star recruits, and by the end of their career as a Wisconsin Badger, even if it took four or five years, would turn them into a four-star or five-star level player. That doesn't mean he would turn them into NBA superstars, but in the realm of college basketball, he turned some players from nobody into player of the year. Like Frank Kaminsky, right? Frank Kaminsky is a perfect example. Nobody knew who Frank Kaminsky was his junior year other than Badger fans, let alone his freshman or sophomore year. But by his senior year, he had so much experience and had experienced so much growth in that Badger system that he was one of the best players in the country. In fact, he was the best player in the country that year and the most outstanding player in the tournament. NBA player, that's a different conversation. But he was developed, he was grown, he was groomed inside that system, and he replaced players who came before him and were groomed and grown inside that system, right? They would reload year after year. What happened to that, right? Because the last couple of years under Greg Gard, we haven't seen the development. We've seen young players come in and and we've thought, wow, that that class is going to be good, right? Last year's senior class is the perfect example. Khalil Iverson, Charlie Thomas. I lumped Brevin Pritzel in with that group, who, by the way, just didn't do a whole lot of anything last night. As freshmen, when they were role players under Bronson Koenig and under Nigel Hayes and under a a medium-aged at the time, Ethan Happ, we thought, man, just wait until that class reaches their junior and senior year. That's going to be a fun team to watch. Never happened. Never came to fruition. Never did. What happened to Nigel Hayes? As a freshman in Bo Ryan's last year, he was springy. He was long. He was athletic. He was bouncy. He was a great shooter from the outside. And you said, just wait until Nigel Hayes is a junior or a senior. Wow, he's going to be the next great Badger. Never happened. Now, I'm not blaming the transition from Bo Ryan to Greg Gard for the lack of development in Nigel Hayes. I'm not saying that. But there's more than one example, right? What about Demetri Trice? Look, he was their leading scorer last year. Last night, eh, he was fine. He had 10 points. Doesn't exactly look like the next great batch uh, of Wisconsin players or a member of the next great batch of Wisconsin players, right? Brad Davison a couple of years ago, we thought, man, this kid's got so much heart. He's got so much drive. They'll figure out the shooting. They'll figure out how to use him. They'll grow him. They'll groom him. In a couple of years, he will be great. And this season, he might be great. He had 16 points last night. I'm not trying to draw conclusions off of last night's game. But last year, even with a healthy shoulder, I don't know if he took the steps everybody expected. What about Kobe King? Us here in lacrosse know better than anyone. When I watched Kobe King in high school, he was one of the best high school basketball players in the state of Wisconsin I'd ever seen. He flashed and jumped off the screen. And if you were in the gym, you could not take your eyes off him. Because he was so bouncy and so athletic and quick. He was just so smooth. He looked like he was out there playing a different game than everybody else. And I watched Henry Ellenson play. Right, I'm from Menominee. I watched the Ellensons up in Rice Lake. Henry Ellenson is now kicking around all over all over the place in the NBA and was drafted as a lottery pick after one year at Marquette. And Henry Ellenson never flashed to me in high school like Kobe King did. He was smooth. He was really natural. and He was really big. But he never flashed to me like Kobe King did. What's up with Kobe King? 
He was a starter last night, and yeah, he had six points, a couple rebounds. But I don't see the improvement. I don't see the progression that I was maybe hoping we'd see out of Kobe King. Now, once again, I'm not blaming that on Greg Gard. I'm not blaming that on Kobe King, but when you start to get more than one example, you start to get a little bit more data. How can you not start to make connections? How can you not start to draw hypothesis, right? Now, Nate Reavers is is progressing. He was good last night. He had 22 points, and, and I think he is the Badgers' best player and is progressing to be the next, you know, Wisconsin big man. Maybe they only know how to do it with big men. I, I don't know, right? Maybe that system only works for Frank Kaminsky and Ethan Happ and now Nate Reavers. And we'll see with Aleem Ford as, as he is a similar enough player to Nate Reavers. Who knows? But big, big group of data to go off of here. Once again, Khalil Iverson and Charlie Thomas and Brevin Pritzel and that group. And now you talk about Demetri Trice and, and Brad Davidson and Kobe King. That's a huge group of players that just really didn't come along and, and progress to the level that we thought. And once again, we're only one game in this year. All these players that I'm mentioning, Kobe King, Davis, and Trice, they could all have outstanding years and, and really prove all of this moot. But at this point, one game in, and I'm not making this game bigger than it is, we're going off a couple of years here, not progressing like we were hoping. Not progressing like we thought. Once again, I don't know if that's Greg Gard, but you got to start to wonder when you get this big of a list, when you get this much data to go off of. You can't help but but try to draw conclusions. All right, that's enough college basketball for one day. When we come back, I want to talk football. I want to talk Packers. And I don't want to talk about whether they got drunk last weekend. I think we've kind of beat that horse to death. Uh, I, I realized something today, and it, it actually kind of made me open my eyes a little bit and go, wow. I want to explain, and it has to do with their running backs. Aaron Jones... Jamal Williams, and even Dan Vitale a little bit. Even Danny Vitale a little bit. Let, let me tell you what I'm talking about. We're also going to talk Bucks, Clippers, and Kawhi Leonard before the show wraps up, too. A lot still to get to. Don't go anywhere. This is the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Play It Again Sports. You're listening to WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out, and thanks for hanging out through my college basketball whining and my whining about the Badgers. I'm not a Badger hater. I am a huge Badger fan. I don't want today to be misconstrued as hating on the Badgers. Just see some worrying trends, right? You see some some bad basketball, right? You got to call a spade a spade. Not here to lie. Not here to be a homer. And I'm not Scrady. Scrady would be so ticked if I said that. Scrady is not a homer. Maybe for UWL, uh, but certainly not for the Vikings or any of his teams. Man, oh man, if you want to join me, you can. 608-796-2558. Join me on the five-star telecom talking text line. I want to talk Packers, and, and we haven't gone a day this week without talking Packers. It's mostly been about the Chargers game. It's mostly been about why the Packers didn't have energy, why they didn't just have juice, and, and whether that's they went out and got drunk, whether that was daylight saving time. For whatever reason, it doesn't really matter. It's in the past. We start to look forward to the Carolina game and, and, and towards the bye here in about a week and a half now. I guess the bye week would start directly after Sunday, but the empty weekend, the off weekend, will be in about a week and a half. And we start to kind of think what's next for the Packers, right? Because if if last Sunday was indeed an instance where the Packers are going to burn the tape and move on and put it out of sight, out of mind, well, then all should be right and good on Sunday, right? All should be fine. Should be back to normal, back to what it was a week and a half ago when they were whooping up on the Chiefs and before when they were whooping up on the Raiders, right? Right? Should be. Chargers game shouldn't continue, right? Shouldn't shouldn't happen at a home game, right? 
Who knows? So we're going to talk about that, uh, obviously, as the week rolls on. I want to talk about the Packers running backs. I I had something that kind of jumped out to me today. So the last couple of weeks, I've been banging this drum here on the show about the Packers and how they involve the running backs in the passing game, right? And I think some people have gotten it backwards. Some people have been a little bit wrong. They, They think and they assume that the Packers are throwing to the running backs because they have no better option, right? They're throwing to the running backs because they don't have a wide receiver they trust, or they don't have a tight end that they love. And part of that might be true. Part of it, a small fraction, might be out of necessity. But I've argued that Matt LaFleur wants to throw to the running backs. Aaron Rodgers in this system is designed to throw to running backs, and that's something that Matt LaFleur brought with him. Something we saw in Atlanta with Freeman and Coleman. Something we saw in Los Angeles with Todd Gurley, obviously. And something we saw in in Tennessee last year with Derrick Henry, right? It's been a theme everywhere LaFleur has been, and it's no surprise that he's bringing it to Green Bay. It's by design. Now, in a a perfect world, I think the Packers would love to have one more high-level wide receiver to go with Devontae Adams. I'm not not saying they're going to turn up their nose at good wide receiver play, and they're neglecting their wide receivers. But it's by design. right? The Packers want to throw to running backs, and you've seen how well it's worked, both to Jamal Williams and to Aaron Jones. I was out for lunch today with a couple of friends. We were getting getting some, um, some Mexican food. And we actually, side note, not really important, but we downed three entire baskets of chips before our food got there. Like, I just, I just, we just need to recognize that because that's pretty impressive. Anyways, we're eating the chips and I, there was a TV on the wall and I don't know if it was on NFL Network or if it was on ESPN or whatever it was. It was some afternoon football show. And they flashed a graphic that talked about teams that target running backs, right? And I have no clue what they were saying. It was on mute. But the teams that came up on the screen who were leading the league in, in targets to running backs, I'm like, damn, all those teams are really, really good. And I tried to pull my pull my phone out and take a picture so I would have it saved because I knew that's something we got to talk about today. Couldn't get it done. I, I had salsa over my hand, so it made it difficult. But I was able to find the research, find the numbers. Luckily, I want to talk about it a little bit. Because when that graphic came up on the screen, teams that target the running backs the most in the league, they're all Really good teams. Top four or top five in the league, if we we want to consider the top five, you have the Patriots at number one. They have 100 total targets this year to running backs. The Chargers, who are a really good team, they just haven't won any games, at number two. The Packers are number three, 85 targets to running backs. The Bears are four, who, once again, I think are a good team. They're just not winning. And the Saints are five. So in that top five, I think people have three legit Super Bowl contenders in the Patriots, the Packers, and the Saints. One really talented team who hasn't been winning in the Chargers. And a a pretty good team in the Bears that has also found a way to lose a couple of games they had no business losing, right? That's That's pretty good company to be in. Patriots, Chargers, Packers, Saints. A really good company there. And that's what jumped off the screen to me today, although the TV was muted, and I, although I had no clue what the context of the conversation was. For Packer fans who are concerned that maybe Green Bay is throwing to their running backs a little bit too much, no! Patriots are doing it. And look, I don't think the Patriots are the best team in the AFC, but if I had to bet money on anyone to make the Super Bowl from the AFC, it's going to be the Patriots. It's just how it works. The Chargers are a very, very good team. And they've found a way to lose a couple of games. The Packers, I think everybody has as a Super Bowl contender. And the Saints, who everybody has as a Super Bowl contender. Now, a couple of things go into this. Because there are also good teams in the NFL who are near the bottom, right? The Houston Texans only have 42 targets to running backs. They're near the bottom, right? The Cowboys are down there, too. The Niners are in the bottom third. 
So it's not totally indicative of good teams, but it is a theme that good teams are near the top. It's a couple of things, right? The Patriots have a couple of running backs that they're very comfortable throwing to, obviously in James White, in Rex Burkhead, and in Sony Michelle. The Chargers have a great complement of three backs that they love in Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler, and Justin Jackson. Packers, much of the same. They have their big one-two punch in Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And Danny Vitale has seven targets on the year as well. The Saints, obviously, with Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, and their fullback, Zach Lyon, who they love. So the teams that are at the top of this list with most targets to running backs is often because they have a couple. They have a committee of running backs they really like, and they're not afraid to get them the ball. The Patriots are the, the ultimate example of this. James White, 55 targets on the year. Rex Burke had 21. Sony Michelle, 11. Austin Eckler of the Chargers has 60 targets in the passing game this year. Aaron Jones with 46. That's a ton. Alvin Kamara has received or been targeted 39 times this year. But it's not just that number one back, right? Melvin Gordon is a number two back in this statistic. Jamal Williams, Latavius Murray, Sony Michelle, Justin Jackson. Some really good players. And I think what puts some of these teams at the top when it comes to targets to running backs is they have a big committee. They have multiple players that they like. Packers, I think, are in great company. I think this is a very telling stat. You want to be in the company of the Patriots and the Chargers and the Saints. It's a good group to be in. I know the Chargers aren't winning games. They're a really good team. That's company you want to be in. You're in great company. Getting back to the wide receivers, a lot of people think that the Packers are only throwing to wide receivers because they, or excuse me, throwing to running backs because they don't like their wide receivers, right? They're doing it out of necessity. And like I said, that might include a sliver of truth, right? If Devontae Adams is healthy, maybe the Packers aren't that high on the list. Maybe Aaron Jones doesn't have that many targets. But it's still something that they have made an emphasis. Let's compare the Packers and their wide receivers and their running backs and their offense as a whole to everyone's favorite team, everybody's favorite example in the NFL, and that's the New England Patriots, right, who lead the NFL in 100 total targets to running backs slash fullbacks. Think about the Patriots' offense. What do they have currently? Now, Josh Gordon's been cut, so currently. They have Tom Brady, James White, Sony Michelle, and Rex Burkhead, and they have Julian Edelman. Can you, can you name anyone else? Can you name a Patriots tight end? I think Philip Dorsett is still a receiver for the Patriots. Is Chris Hogan, does Chris Hogan still play there? Everyone's favorite former lacrosse player? I don't know. And I've watched the, I've watched the Patriots a couple times this year. Patriots games in their entirety. I don't know. I know they have Tom Brady, they have Edelman, and they have a, a strong stable of running backs. And they've made it work. Is that that different from the Packers? I'd rather have Aaron Rodgers than Tom Brady. <gasps> oh, I know I said it. I'd rather have Aaron Rodgers. I think Devontae Adams is just as good as Julian Edelman. I think he's a better pure receiver. I think Edelman and Brady and McDaniels just work really well together. But I think Adams is very comparable, very clean route runner, much like Edelman. And Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and Danny Vitale are just as good, if not better, than James White, Rex Burkhead, and Sony Michelle. I don't know if the Packers' offensive weaponry is as bad as everyone wants to make it. Now, like I said, to begin our little conversation here, I think the Packers would take a number two wide receiver if they could find one, right, for a price that they like and a player that they like. I don't think the Packers, by choice, uh, have a below-average wide receiving core past Devontae Adams. And they're developing some younger guys, and, and Kumaro and Lazard have made plays, but I don't know if you're going to get consistent output from those guys week in and week out, at least this season. 
I don't think the Packers are doing it on purpose. But everybody wants to make the, the, the offensive arsenal for Green Bay out to just be really, really bad. I don't think it is compared to the Patriots. Compared to the Saints. The Saints have Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, who I think are very, very comparable to Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And then they have Michael Thomas and Drew Brees. How is that that much different than what the Packers have? When it comes down to it, it's not always about who has more weapons. Learn that with the Browns, right? It's not always about the number of weapons. It's whether or not the head coach or the offensive coordinator and the quarterback can figure out a way to maximize those weapons week in and week out. The Chargers last week defensively, and Anthony Lynn and his defense did a really good job of taking Aaron Jones out of the game a little bit, especially early on. Yeah, Devontae Adams had some catches, and Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams made some plays, but for the most part, they were minimized, right? Last week, I don't know if it would have helped to also have A.J. Green and have primetime Jermichael Finley at tight end. It's not always about having more, 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 and bigger and better weapons. It's about being able to utilize them and to instill and execute a game plan week in and week out that makes the most of the weapons that you have. Cleveland Browns are example number one. Because the Patriots, with a bunch of no-name guys, have outclassed the Browns offensively every single week this year, despite the Browns having Odell Beckham, right, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, and now they're going to get Kareem Hunt? Will it matter? I Man, I got to think no, because what's one more weapon, right? It's not about the number of weapons and the level of weapons. Sometimes it's about execution, and it's about game plan. That's why the Patriots keep winning. The Packers need to think more about that. They need to think about, well, how can we get A.J. Green, right? Why didn't we get Emmanuel Sanders? Think about executing with what you have, because the Patriots have been doing a lot with a little for years. That's a bigger emphasis to me. Well, we got to go. We're a little bit late for a break. But when we come back, the, the Bucks have a huge game tonight. The game's lost a little bit of intrigue. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen the headline today regarding the Clippers. We'll talk about that, and I'll give my two cents because I think it's lame. The Wisco Sports Show wraps up here in just a couple of minutes, presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the show. As always, if you're just joining us, we talked a lot of Badgers today, talked a little bit of Packers as well. You can find the full show in podcast form at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app. Obviously, when the, the, the show is done, it's not up yet. It's, it's still going, but it'll go up just a couple of minutes after 6 o'clock. You can check it out uh, right there. I want to talk about the Bucks. They, I don't know if this is their biggest game of the year, but it's certainly one of their biggest games of their short season uh, to date. They visit the Los Angeles Clippers tonight. Bucks 5-2, and two, Clippers 5-2. and two. Both teams with a couple good signature wins and a couple of losses that eh, you'd, you'd like to have back, right? Especially the way the Bucks were leading uh, at, at halftime. Both 15-point uh, leads plus, I believe, a, a lead of 16 and a lead of 17 against Boston and against Miami. Both games you'd love to have back. Clippers as well. This game lost a little bit of national intrigue. For me, I'm still fascinated. I'm a Bucks fan. I'm still going to watch. And Clippers fans are still going to watch, I would imagine, as well. But it's lost a little bit of national intrigue uh, as Kawhi Leonard's going to sit for, quote, load management, which is the, one of the most awkward like phrases and awkward titles for anything in sports, right? He's resting. He's tired. And he's going to sit because he wants to manage his body, wants to stay healthy, whatever, 
you get how it goes. I'm not really that upset because I want the Bucks to win. I would have loved to watch Kawhi and Giannis go at it because we got to see that in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And I want to see how Giannis responds. I want to see how the Bucks respond uh, after a really good player kind of got the best of them just a few months ago. Now, West Coast trips are always difficult. Like, this game is not a gimme, and we learned that from the Packers this last weekend. Right, trips to L.A., West Coast trips are never never easy. But without Kawhi Leonard, the, the path to victory for the Bucks tonight gets a little bit easier, especially because Paul George is still injured. Now, it, it was interesting to hear today kind of the talking heads and sports TV and sports radio people give their opinion and, and really either be indifferent or be angry. I think I'm somewhere in between about Kawhi Leonard resting for load management for the second straight week in a very young season, right? He only played seven games so far. And he rested last week, also a nationally televised game. The, the thing was, both of, both of these instances are back-to-backs, meaning the Clippers play tonight and they're going to play tomorrow. Same thing last week. And instead of resting Kawhi on the second night of that back-to-back on a non-nationally televised game, once again, they're electing to do it on Wednesday night, the game going to be on ESPN tonight. So that kind of stinks, right? I don't get to watch Kawhi Leonard every, every night. Well, actually, I do. I, I have League Pass, so I could watch Kawhi Leonard every night. But the majority of people who get their NBA viewership from ESPN, TNT, or at ABC on the weekends and on the afternoons, they only get so many opportunities to see these stars, and the people who buy tickets to go watch the Clippers only get to see so many, uh, only get so many opportunities to see them as well, right? Kawhi Leonard hasn't played a back-to-back since April of 2017. Think about that. And back-to-back, I don't mean a game like, like a game on Tuesday and a game on Thursday, Kawhi needs to take one of those off. That's not what I mean. A back-to-back is not consecutive games, but it's games on back-to-back nights, a Wednesday and a Thursday, right? A Friday and a Saturday. Hasn't played a full back-to-back since April of 2017. Now, word is from sources who are close to Kawhi Leonard's camp and close to the Clippers is that when Kawhi Leonard came to Los Angeles, his demand or his desire, was to play about 65 games out of 82. It's a lot of games off. It's a lot of games to rest for load management. And after doing some research today and just kind of looking into the numbers, and once again, much like the Badgers and our conversation about the Badgers today, this season is very, very young. We don't have much data to go off of. We don't have any games to go off of. But we're drawing conclusions, I think, fairly from what we know so far. I don't think we're blowing this out of proportion. I don't think we blew our Badgers conversation out of proportion today, and I don't think I'm blowing this conversation out of proportion only seven games into a very young NBA season. I'm going to argue, and I'm not the only one who I've read or heard say this today, I'm going to argue that Kawhi Leonard, his workload is already being managed without taking time off, without missing games. I talk all the time that I'm impressed by Coach Bud and his ability to manage rotations. And this is something that veteran coaches certainly have a leg up on because they have experience. Managing rotations and minutes is something that takes a little bit of practice. I'm amazed that Coach Bud manages to put competitive efforts and win games together while only playing Giannis 27, 28, 29 minutes. And that's throughout the entire regular season, right? He doesn't taper them at the end. 27 minutes is your average, 27 to 29 on any given night for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Rarely, if ever, do you see him get over 30 in the instance where uh, a game does not include overtime. This season, and it is young, by the way, seven games in, Kawhi has played six of seven games. 
He's averaging 30 minutes a game. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Kawhi's career high in minutes happened in 2018. And it was 34 minutes per game. LeBron's career low is 35. Is 35. 35! And the other night, I'm looking at these Bucks timberwolves numbers. Giannis played 27 minutes because it was a blowout. Right? Giannis had an easy night with 27 minutes. Right? Often you're gonna see you're gonna see north of that. And I had my numbers a little bit wrong. You're hardly gonna see him get above right 40 minutes, not 30. Six of seven games. Kawhi's playing 30 minutes. 30 minutes. That's nothing. That's nothing. It's barely anything at all. For more accurate numbers and a game that actually makes sense because I picked a terrible example. The Raptors game the other night. Giannis played 36 minutes. You will rarely see him go above 40 in an instance of a game that doesn't include overtime. Just add 10 to what I, what I already said. Giannis is going to play 36, 37 minutes, rarely above 40. Kawhi's playing 30 minutes a game this year. 30. 30. His career high in minutes is only 34, which happened in 2018. LeBron's career low is this year, and he's playing 35. Now, I don't know if it's something mental with Kawhi that he feels as though he can't play back-to-backs and he needs to sit out 15 to 17 games a year, and it would be 17 games in the case of playing only 65. His workload is already being managed. He's only playing 30 minutes a game. He doesn't need to take time off. With that workload, are you kidding me? LeBron's going to play about 35 per. Giannis about 37, not 27 as I said so earlier like a bozo. You don't need to miss games. The Clippers and Doc Rivers are already managing your workload. Man, come on. Not nationally televised games. Not against the Bucks. Not against the reigning MVP. The guy you eliminated a year prior in the playoffs. You want to be considered the best player? You want to be in that conversation? You got to play more games. Got to play more minutes. Got to play more games. We'll talk about Bucks Clippers tomorrow and also continue to look forward to Packers Panthers this upcoming weekend tomorrow. Same time, same place right here on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then.